You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to all of you. Glad that you're here. Good morning, 10 o'clock. Welcome today and welcome to those who are watching online as, as well. Let me just give you a, an, an easy fact. This is easy for me to say today. The world is filled with people. I uh, did a lot of research on that this entire week and ended up with that thought that really the, the world has a lot of people in it. Um, as of 4 o'clock this morning, it was like 7.894 billion people on the, the live world population clock that's ticking every single day. So there's, there's a lot of people uh, in the world. You, you know very few of those 7 billion, almost 8 billion people. But the world is, is filled with people. But here's, here's the difficult thing is assessing who you are. Like we can know all about you know, people around us, but really one of the big biblical questions is, is who are you? Like how did God wire you? What, what makes you tick? What's, what's life like for you? How do you understand yourself? In fact, Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, also wrote the book of Proverbs, and he says, a wise man gives thought to his own ways. A prudent man thinks about his own ways. And so an easy thing to say is, man, there's just people everywhere. Difficult thing is, but, but who am I? Assessing who you are. But here's the second difficult thing, determining who will have access to your life to influence you. In other words, that, that's a difficult question. Like, who do you let into your, your heart and your mind? Who has your attention? Um, who, who is able to get inside your schedule and inside your world and is able to grab your attention? Maybe that's, that's a difficult question. There's people everywhere easy to understand that but here's the difficulty like who are you and then who are you allowing into into your life into your space you know sorting out relationships and sorting out friendships it, it can be very difficult whether you're eight years old or 18 or 28 or, or, or 98 uh, relationships can be unbelievably meaningful but relationships can also be unbelievably complicated. And some of y'all know that. In the Bible, there's three types of people. In fact, Old Testament, New Testament alike, three types of people are, are mentioned. You have evil people, then you have foolish people, and then you have wise people. And really the difference between an evil person, a foolish person, and a wise person is the condition of their hearts. So let me give you a few biblical definitions of those three types of people. First of all, evil people, they, they hate the truth and they refuse to change. And they're really out there to, to harm others or their evil nature will harm or will hurt others. That's kind of a biblical de definition, Old and New Testament alike, of an evil person. They hate the truth. They want to get around the truth as best that they can and be away from the truth the most that they can. They refuse to change. They will not adapt their lives to what, what truth is. And because their evil nature, their evil condition of their hearts, they will hurt others. They will harm others. What about a fool? Well, well a foolish person uh, will argue over the truth. They, they know that there is truth, but they'll also always try to justify or push back against the truth, usually because there's something in their life that goes against the truth. And so they argued the truth, they refused to change, which actually makes them just like an, an evil person. They refuse to change, they refuse to adapt to truth, and they're just going to live for themselves. I guess I could have just said 
Twitter user, and it's kind of the same thing, right? Arguing over truth all the time, in it for themselves, and they're not going to change. There's no way they're going to move off of what, what they think is right, even if God's word comes and gives them truth that is different from their lifestyle. A wise person, though, a wise person wants to know the truth, like gravitates toward the truth, wants to be around the truth all the time. And they will adapt their lives. They will change things in their heart to to line up to the truth of God. They will change any behavior or attitude or or spending or schedule. They just want to make sure that their lives line up with those things that are true. And they're constantly growing in godliness. When I say godliness, I just mean that they're growing in more and more godly character. They want to take on the character of God. Now let's just kind of think about this in our own hearts, our own lives for a second, all of us in this house, all watching online, there's, there's some very wise things that, that, that you have in your life. Maybe some very foolish things that you do in your life. Maybe even, we don't like to consider this, but even some evil things, especially if you hate truth and refuse to change and perhaps are bringing harm to, to others. And so by God's grace, what we're hoping is that God will change those things in our lives that are foolish or that are evil and move us toward, toward wisdom. So really what we're looking at today is it's good to know which of those three things best describe you. But it's also good to consider the three descriptors of those that are your friends. As you consider friendships and connection and community and and, and dating and family and, and those around you, it's really important to understand that everybody in the world, according to scripture, really is either evil or foolish or wise, but often most of us are a mixture of all three of those things. Let's go to God's word together, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're just walking verse by verse through this great book, this great Old Testament book this fall semester. So let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we'll just start there in verse 1. I hope you have a copy of God's word with you. Uh, Go to your smartphone. It's on the screen behind me, but also you can share with someone around you as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 together. Solomon is writing. It's a book of wisdom. And he says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the other side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Stop there at verse 1. This is Solomon talking about the sorrow of being isolated, the sorrow of, of being alone during difficult times, the sadness of not being surrounded by family or being surrounded by by close friendships. Certainly in verse 1, someone is being oppressed. Uh, There's a sense of trial. There's a sense of great difficulty in this person's life. And there's no one there to, to, to comfort them. There's no one there to wipe away their tears. It's the sadness of not being surrounded by others during difficulty. Verse 2 and verse 3, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen all the evil deeds that are done, again, disconnected from God, that are done under the sun. Well, verse 2 and verse 3 is super pessimistic here. He is saying, Solomon is saying, it's better to be dead or non-existent than to have ever lived at all. It's a little bohemian rhapsody going in here. I, I wish I'd never been born at all, he's saying. There's just bad things all around. Verse 3 says there's just evil deeds everywhere I look. Verse 4, we see a picture of an evil person. Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work that come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity. It's a striving 
after the wind. So we see in verse four this description of an evil person who is motivated by envy. Their success is driven by jealousy of others. This is why evil people, they seethe when someone else gets something that they want or they accomplish something that they wanted to accomplish themselves. The evil people, they rejoice when others lose possessions or they, they fail in a relationship or they suffer in life. And in this present social media age in which we now find ourselves, evil people can see all kinds of information about our lives that just feeds their jealousy to, to have more things. It begins to feed even more that envy of you have something that they do not have. Or maybe even worse still, I bet all of y'all have seen this in social media at some point, people begin to compare themselves or to compete or begin to attack. The best way to deal with an evil person is to disconnect from them completely. Give them as little time and as little information as possible. Verse 5 speaks of the fool. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Now that's a weird verse right there. there there's two Hebraisms happening. So let's unpack this. Foolish people, they fold their hands. To fold your hands in the Old Testament meant that you're lazy. That you're irresponsible. That, that you're idle. That you don't work. So foolish people, they refuse to learn. They refuse to do the hard stuff. And the best way to deal with a fool is to allow them to suffer underneath their own consequences. If you argue with the fool, you don't get anywhere. If you pull away the responsibilities that you've given them, they become even more foolish still. And so what you do is you let them live in their consequences, which is what that phrase means right there, and they will just eat their own flesh. They'll just eat themselves, which is a way to say fools will always implode under the weight of their own foolishness. Verse 6 speaks of a wise person. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. In other words, wise people, they live intentionally. They live purposely. That they want to grow in godliness. They don't want to repeat just the same old mistakes time and time again. Wise people, they receive correction and they make these adjustments to be godly. In this way, wise people, as we see here in verse 6, are living life with a two-handed approach. One hand to, to work hard to provide for themselves, on the other hand, to, to care for others, to reach out to others, to, to give to the needy, to embrace the, the hurting. The best thing you can do with a wise person is spend more time with that wise person. I learn from them, uh, be around them, gain from their wisdom, watch their example, follow their example, imitate their example, receive instruction from them so that you also can grow in wisdom and learn from their godly example. So when you look at these three things right here, that the foolish person, the evil person, that the wise person, just consider in your own heart right now, like who did you hang out with the most this week? Well, with whom did you associate with this week? Here's what Jim Rohn says, and I think wisely so. You are the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. That may be terrifying to some of y'all, thinking who you hung out with this past week. It may be comforting to some of you. You become the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. Uh, here's how Proverbs says that Solomon wrote this earlier in the book of Proverbs. Walk with the fools, you become a fool. Walk with the wise, you become wise. 
Uh, You're the average with those that you associate with. You're the average of the five people that you most associate with and you give your time to. So Solomon is driving here in this very interesting, very practical chapter, chapter four, this this incredible rich truth. And here it is if you're a note taker. Friends and family are great gifts of grace from God. All of chapter four is about relationships, connection, community, friendships, family, You have here Solomon, this incredibly successful man by every human measure and standard, and he really wants something that money cannot buy him. Great friends and good family. I think all of us in this room are on a quest just to have great friends, great connections. We we want to, to have a good family. As we are spending time and energy on that quest looking for good friends, can I lovingly remind you that while you're looking for good friends, you've got to be a good friend yourself. And while you're hoping one day that maybe your family will will improve a little bit, we all have that uncle, right? We all have that cousin. We just all want them to do a little bit better. Maybe even in God's word today, we would see room for improvement in our own lives as well. Solomon, who is lonely, just sitting on this pile of, of cash and money, says there's four benefits to investing time and energy into people. There's, there's four benefits into investing your energy and time into having strong relationships with friends and with family. Let's see those four things together in God's word. Verse seven, chapter four. Again, I, I saw vanity under the sun, which maybe for the 20th time of this this series, means disconnected from God. I saw this vanity disconnected from God under the sun. One person who has no other, doesn't have a son, doesn't have a brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks himself, if you will, for whom am I toiling? For whom am I depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Here's the first benefit we see in scripture of investing time into relationships with friends and family. Number one, friends and family are for sharing. There should be the, the, the sharing in, in life with friends and, and with family. I mean, what, what good is a meal if you always eat alone? And never invite someone over to enjoy that meal with you. What, what good is time if all you do with your time is make more money? What, what good is a house if you never invite friends to come over, or family to come over and to be with you? The greatest blessings in life, they do not come from getting things, they come from sharing things. The greatest blessings in life does not come from, from gaining more things, but sharing and, and giving away. This is my opinion or my thought today on why God is so joyful. Why is God so joyful? Because he's so generous. The the Lord says that in the fullness, in the presence of God, there's a fullness of joy. How can God have this much joy? Because he loves to give. Friends and family are here to enjoy by sharing with them all the things that God has given to you. So I have a question for you. I have some practical questions for you today. Here's the first practical question. Who has shared with you throughout life? Have you ever received, have you been on the receiving end of someone's generosity before? Who is that? Just, just think of a name in your own heart, your own mind. Who is someone who has shared with you, been so generous with you, has given so much to you? And maybe the follow-up question with that is, with whom has God asked you to share? Kindness, encouragement, a meal, maybe a few dollars here and there. Who has been generous to you? Who has shared with you? 
And with whom can you be generous even this week? Here's the second thing. It's verse 9, verse 10. Probably familiar sounding verses here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to, to lift him up. Here's the second benefit of investing time into friends and family. Friends and family are for serving. We see this in, in verse 9 and verse 10. Life has wins and life has losses. Life has ups, has downs, has good times, has bad times. I mean, all of us in this house today, all watching online, there's going to be a point in your life, if you have not already, you will fall and you will stumble and you will find yourself maybe even spiritually on the ground. And we need somewhere that, someone there to help pick us up. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it is financial. Sometimes it's, it's spiritual. Sometimes it's physical. I mean, just think back to the book of Genesis. Even in a perfect world, God came to Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. Like, we need people. And and people need us. And sadly, in our kind of service-based economy that we live in today, we pay people to do things that our friends and family could do for us or you could do for them. So here's my practical question. Who has picked you up in the past? When you stumbled, when you fell down, who is there to, to pick you up? Who is there to, to serve? The follow-up practical question to that is, who this week can you pick up? Was there a family member or a friend that just has stumbled, maybe spiritually, emotionally, socially? Is there someone that you can look after? Who has God asked you to serve? Verse 11. Again, if two lie together... They keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Here's the the third benefit of family, of friendships. Friends and family are for nearness. To to be together, to be close to one another. Our our nation is filled with people today who are so lonely. We're living our lives as Americans with with so much more time single or alone or, or away from family. And I say technology has made things worse. Technology has not made things better for us. We think that we're more connected. But technology can never replace up-closeness. Technology can never replace nearness. Therefore, you can't have a godly 50-year marriage just over Zoom. (laughs) And, And you can't just parent through texting. God understands this ministry of of nearness. That's why he came into the stream of humanity as Jesus to be near to us, to be with us. That's why Jesus gives us this beautiful promise when he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He gives us the Holy Spirit who will be with us and in us always. Innately, I think we know this. Innately, we understand that we were created for up closeness, for that ministry of of presence. We know this because you can walk into a hospital and next to every hospital bed is what? A chair. Even doctors, even the medical field understands how important that is for that ministry of presence, that ministry of nearness, for someone there to be with us. In in a desperate time, in a difficult time, maybe a terrifying time in a hospital, there's always a chair next to that bed because friends and family are for, for nearness. So here's your practical question. Who has ministered to you recently? just by their nearness, just by being there, just by showing up. Uh, Theologians throughout the years have called this the ministry of presence, just just being there. I mean, have you ever needed someone there and then someone was there? 
And maybe the follow-up question to that is, with whom this week can you be near? Uh, whose house do you need to show up at at some point this week? Or maybe a phone call to a family member you have not seen or talked to in a, in a long time and, and make arrangements to see them, to be with them. There is something about, about nearness. The, the, the fourth thing we see in verse 12 and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here's the fourth benefit that Solomon writes about. Friends and family are there for protecting. I mean, the world is a very dangerous place. There's evil people who want to harm us. There's foolish people who want to use us. Uh, there are physical dangers and financial dangers and vocational dangers and emotional dangers, spiritual dangers. And so Solomon uses the analogy here of a fight in verse 12. You have one person fighting two people. That one person is going to lose. Why? Because he can't cover his back. This is what, it mean, what, what we mean when, when friends say, I've, I've got your back. I, I, I'm there for you. I'm there with you in this battle. I'm there to help protect you. The big idea here is that life is safer when two people stick together, in fact, Solomon even goes on to say, and even better than two is three. Three people near you living life with you. So friends and family were there for, for protecting one another. So here's again my practical question, my last practical question of the day. Who's protected you? Who has been by your side in, in battles in the past? Or maybe who's by your side in the battle of today? That person that stood with you during a difficult time, during a time of trial, a time again, maybe you stumbled, maybe you fell, maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual battle. Who stood by you? Who is standing by you? And of course, the easy practical follow-up question to that is, who do you need to stand by this week? Who needs protection? Who, who do you need to stand with in the middle of, of their battle? Let's read the rest of this chapter, verse 13. Better was a poor and, and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. He's probably talking about himself. Verse 14, for, for he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of, of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later, they will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity. This is just a striving after the wind. Solomon paints for us here where wisdom does not come from. Uh, four things, again, four things where wisdom it cannot be found. So let me just give those to you very quickly. In this passage, in verse 13, we see that wisdom doesn't always come from age. Someone can be older and wiser, but an evil person or a foolish person can be older and just more dangerous or more pathetic. You know, age alone does not produce wisdom. Because some people never learn from their foolishness. I have met 70-year-old fools. I've also met 20-year-old sages who are so wise even beyond their years. So it's not, wisdom doesn't come just from age. I know we say that all the time, but that's not necessarily the truth. Verse 14 shows us here that wisdom doesn't always come from hardship. We kind of say that in our world today as well. Well, if you'll just go through this difficult time or in this difficult time, you're just going to grow wiser from it. Not necessarily. Solomon speaks about a person who served time in, in prison. And while hardship can produce wisdom, it doesn't always produce wisdom. You have to choose to let God teach you 
in the middle of that difficult time. You have to choose to let God change you through trials rather than just being a person who is always frustrated about the trial or frustrated about the hardships. Let me just say it very practically in this way. If you're going through a difficult time right now, you have one of two ends to that difficulty. Wisdom or cynicism. When you're going through a trial, you're going through a difficult time, that's going to be the end. You can either grow in wisdom, learn from the things that you're going through, or you can become more cynical toward God, toward life, toward people. Wisdom or cynicism are the end results of hardship. Verse 14 also shows us here that wisdom doesn't come from wealth or poverty. We also say that in America today. Well, you, you know, I know you don't have very much right now, but you're just growing up and God's giving you a lot of wisdom. Not necessarily. Solomon mentions someone who started with nothing and they earned their way to the top. He mentions another person who was born into generations of success and yet he's still foolish. So money, whether you have plenty of it, or money, whether you have little of it, i.e. college students. You don't have much at all or you have a lot. It doesn't guarantee that someone will be wise or that someone actually will be even a good friend. Verse 15 and verse 16 say this fourth thing. Wisdom rarely comes from fame. Again, Solomon's probably talking about himself in this place of, of one person who was cheered when they stepped into the king's palace. And yet a few generations later on, people won't even know who he is. In our celebrity culture that we live in today, we say that famous people have, have made it. They have arrived. And we, we seek to emulate them. But some of the most famous people in our nation are some of the most foolish people in our nation. Some of the people that make the most money in our nation, we see all the time on the front of magazines. We see them on social media all the time. Lifted up, they're some of the most ungodly people in our nation. Have you noticed that the highest paid celebrities in our nation are famous and foolish? Wisdom rarely comes from fame. So the question persists then today, where do I find wisdom? I'm assuming a lot of you showed up to the church today at 10 o'clock because you just want to grow in wisdom. You want to know what God says about life this week, about relationships, about a life connected with him. So where, where can we pan for wisdom? I think there's five things and I'll be done. Wisdom comes from scripture. Wisdom comes from, from God's word. The Bible exists in part to grow us up in wisdom, to grow us up in maturity. And, and listen carefully to this. We need to study it, but you also need to allow God's word to study you. You need to read God's word and let God's word read you. Evaluate your life, evaluate your heart through the lens of, of scripture. If you stay away from the Bible, you will stay away from wisdom. If you stay away from wisdom, you will slip very quickly into foolishness. And then you're just one step away from evil. If you want to stay away from wisdom, then stay away from God's word. Wisdom comes from scripture. Here's the second thing that all of us could preach today. Wisdom comes from wise people. Want to grow in wisdom this week? Hang out with wise people. Learn from them. Ask them to lunch. Ask them to breakfast. Ask them a question. Ask them advice. Invite them into your life. Those who've walked in wisdom and they speak with experience, they're treasures. I'm like, take all the gold you can from wise people through their words, their example, their life, their encouragement, their correction. I think I told you I didn't have any more questions for you, but I do have one more question. Have you walked with wise people this week? Or fools this week? It bears repetition. Solomon said, if you're going to walk with fools, you're just going to become a fool just like them. 
But if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Here's the third thing. (laughs) Wisdom comes from watching fools. It's actually helpful to watch a fool. It's helpful to learn from their mistakes as they go through life. You know, some fools' lives are just cautionary tales for the rest of us. Watch how a fool lives and don't imitate them. Watch how a fool lives and make sure you don't look anything like them. Number four, wisdom comes from self-reflection. I mean, take some time this week. I know you're busy. I know you all have schedules. And I know you have deadlines. I know you have things to do. You probably have projects and papers and all these things, even this coming week. But could you take a little time this week for some self-reflection to look back and to learn from your successes and learn from your failures? That's exactly what Solomon is doing. You know what the book of Ecclesiastes is? It's a journal from an old man who is just looking back on his life and thinking, man, I've been wise here. I've been foolish here. And I'll go on record saying there were times that Solomon was downright evil. But he's taking the time now to write this book that we might learn from all those things in his life just as he is learning about the foolish things, the evil things. He's trying to learn from them in wisdom. Here's the fifth and probably the most important thing I have to say today. Wisdom comes from Jesus. You can be smart without Jesus, but you can't be wise without him. To grow in wisdom means to grow in Christ. To love him. To know him. To walk with him. To listen to him. To talk to him. To follow his example. And probably most importantly, to confess him as the Lord of your life. When you say the Lord of your life, you're saying, Jesus, you're my boss. I will follow you. I will do whatever you say. I will adjust my life to live according to the truth of Jesus. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Jesus, who has become for us, the people of God, the wisdom of God. Jesus has now become for us the wisdom of God. So know this, Jesus, and you will know the wisdom of God. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us today. We want to grow wise by being in Scripture. We want to be wise by watching wise people. We'll we'll grow wiser this week by watching fools. God, by your grace, would you give us a little time to reflect this week upon our own lives, the wise decisions we've made, the foolish decisions we've made, the evil decisions we've made. God, the greatest decision in life is turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. You have become for us the wisdom of God. We want to love you by your grace with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we want to walk with you, listen to you, talk to you, follow your example, confess you every day as our Lord, every day as our boss. God, by your grace, we want to be people of wisdom this week. Help us with friends and family. Be everything you've called us to be and to do. Show us very clearly this week, God, wise moments when we can protect and pick up others. God, you show us some very wise moments this this week. We can serve others or, or share with others that which you have given us. To encourage others. Jesus, thank you that you are our wisdom. It's in that name that we pray and we sing. Amen.